We are beginning a three-part series today, which has the potential to elicit different responses. Some of you will be delighted, some will be inspired, some may be nervous, some will feel challenged. The series is called Every Nation, Every Tribe, Every People. These words taken from a picture in the book of Revelation of the worldwide church gathered around God's throne. And this series is about God's vision for diversity, his inclusive vision for humanity. The series is just uh, part of a bigger journey that we're on as a church of engaging more deliberately with the issues of racial injustice and ethnic equality. And there are a number of reasons why we are committed to this journey and why we feel that this particular series is really quite important. Before I unpack those, I really want to encourage us all in this moment to become aware of the posture of our own hearts, to approach this subject with openness, and to be mindful that in this room there are many experiences, many views, but to remember that we as a people are on this journey together. Firstly, the reason we're addressing this is that racial injustice is part of our present. A few years back, we hosted a Nottingham Citizens Gathering here in this room where the candidates for the Police and Crime Commissioner were being interviewed. And uh, one of the people who spoke uh, up here right at this point was a black man. He was wearing a zipped-up hoodie with the hood up. And he recounted his experience one evening here in Nottingham as he returned to his car. He'd been out for a jog. And he told us it was dark and raining And as he was putting his key in the car door, he dropped his keys. And as he bent down to retrieve them, he heard a voice behind him quite aggressively telling him to stand up and place his hands on the car. And uh, it was a police officer who then searched him, assuming he was trying to steal this car. And despite the man's protestations and requests just to be allowed to pick his keys up, the officer ignored what he was saying and continued to pat him down. And this man standing right here, he said he, uh, he unzipped his hoodie pulled down his, oh, before he did that, he said, look, I'm not a thief. I'm not a criminal. Then he unzipped his hoodie, pulled down his his, uh, hood, and he said, I'm a bishop. It was a clerical dog collar and shirt. I'm a bishop. It was quite a powerful moment because that experience is common among many black people and others in our city still today. I've talked with a number of black people and Asian people, and the issue of being treated less favorably because of one's skin color, is very much a live one. Since the killing of George Floyd, I've been shocked and deeply saddened by things that I have learned through conversations with some of you and others. And I've felt sometimes very uncomfortable. I've sometimes felt ashamed. I've felt embarrassed at my ignorance. I've been alarmed at my unconscious bias and my lack of awareness sometimes of my white privilege. I've been moved to tears as I've heard some of the pain that many black and brown people have lived with and experienced in an ongoing way. For instance, I heard from some of you in the Mandarin community that at the beginning of the pandemic, you were spat at and told to go home after it was reported that COVID-19 originated in a Chinese city. In June last year, our Sunday service included a conversation with three of our black members, including Dan, whose neighbor refused to speak to his family because they were black. On one occasion, the neighbor said to a friend, 
don't talk to him. We don't talk to them. In those conversations, I realized that, you know, I'd known many of you for a number of years, but had never appreciated, appreciated just how powerful the issue of racial injustice was affecting you and your families in your everyday life. This is very much a part of your present. And we want to acknowledge that. We want to stand with you and to grieve with you. Secondly, this is an issue which is part of our past. This month is Black History Month, which celebrates and commemorates the contributions that African and Caribbean people uh, from those backgrounds have made to British history for centuries. And we want to honor this contribution that people of all races and ethnicities have made uh, to this church and to every church. Last year in July, I spoke on the way that racism and racial injustice is very much part of our history in Britain. If you haven't heard that talk, I'd really encourage you to watch it. It's called We Need to Talk About Race, and you can find it on the talks page of the website. Racial injustice is not just a black and white issue. It's experienced by people of many cultures, including between different white people. Anti-Semitism affects many in the Jewish community. Uh, the way some from Eastern Europe have been treated when they've come to work in this country is awful. I'm told by friends from Africa that there are tribal tensions. And as I mentioned, people of Chinese origin living in the UK have been uniquely impacted by the pandemic. The spread of the British Empire into South Asia means that we have a long history of people from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh settling here. And with that came racism targeted specifically at those groups. Colonialization by white Europeans has resulted in the mistreatment of black people by white people, most notably in the appalling dehumanizing abuse of black Africans who were taken by force from their homes to foreign lands and enslaved during the transatlantic slave trade. If you haven't seen the four-part television series Black and British, A Forgotten History, presented by David Olusoga, or his uh, Britain's Forgotten Slave Trade, I would encourage you to watch those. They're on BBC iPlayer. It was shocking to understand how Britain was complicit in and profited from the horrific oppression of black people, and to realize that much of the beautiful architecture in our major cities was paid for by the slave trade. Watching that series has forever affected the way that I will look at those incredibly opulent buildings. This is part of our national history. It's also part of the history of the British church. For hundreds of years, Bible passages were used to justify the practice of slavery. And although Christians and church leaders played key roles in bringing the slave trade to its end, there were many who were complicit in it and profited by it. Churches were profiting through slavery. In 1807, the Slave Bible was published, which was used by British missionaries, fearing certain Bible verses would incite potential uprisings, Passages making reference to freedom and emancipation were removed. And passages about submission were highlighted. I didn't know that until last week. And I find it absolutely shocking that the word of God was edited in this way for black slaves. Some of the saddest stories of our history come from the Windrush generation, black people who were invited 
from the Commonwealth nations to come to Britain to help rebuild this nation after World War II. As Commonwealth citizens, they should have experienced all the rights of that status, but instead received a cold welcome of menial jobs and difficulty in finding housing. And perhaps most shamefully, many churches told them they were not welcome. I recently heard a story of one woman who at that time arrived from Jamaica, and upon visiting a church at the end as she was leaving, she was told by the vicar, thank you for coming, please don't come back. There's a particular traumatic wound that lives on in people who are descended from those who were enslaved. And negative attitudes, stereotypes, discriminatory behavior towards them is still alive within the white population, as we saw last May following the death of George Floyd. So racial injustice is part of our present. It is very much a part of our past. And thirdly, the resolution is part of our future. The title of this series is based on words from Revelation chapter 7, the verse you see behind me. The Apostle Paul is recounting a vision he experienced in which he witnessed a glimpse of heaven. This is Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's a beautiful picture of what heaven will look like. A colourful, united multitude from every race and ethnicity and people and language worshipping God together in heaven. You know, a lot of things in this earthly life will pass away, but ethnic and racial diversity will be very much a part of our eternal future. So over these next three talks, we want to look at what the Bible has to say on racial and ethnic equality and justice, God's vision for a diverse church, and the role that we can play in partnering with him in that. There's so much more that we can possibly, than we can possibly talk about, of course, in three talks. Um, and so we anticipate doing further talks next year and in years to come. We are thrilled that Josh Kay uh, will be giving the third talk in the series with his wife Katie. Josh leads Hope Vineyard in Oxford, uh, a church that we planted from here four years ago. Throughout the, the 25 years of the life of the church, we've taken steps to be inclusive and welcoming of racial and ethnic diversity from tiny things like ensuring really from day one that we have not just white but also black and brown dolls in the youngest kids groups, uh, right through to representing more diverse skin colors in photos that we use in talks that we use on our website. However, I want to say that we've not been as deliberate as we should have been. We realize that we have blind spots, we had no idea that some of the things we said or the way we, we acted might have been hurtful. And we realize that we've not been as sensitive as we could have been to people's pain. And I want to say that we are sorry that we have not deeply engaged sooner. All of us, whether we are black, white, brown, any shade between, if you are part of this church, God sees you as being part of the solution. 
We're not talking about this because we're jumping on a cultural bandwagon, but because we believe this is an issue really close to the heart of God. So today, let's have a little look at one of Paul's letters, which he wrote to the Gentiles, so non-Jewish believers in a town called Galatia. Now, Jewish Christian missionaries were insisting that the Gentiles needed to do certain things to become part of the people of God. So they needed to be circumcised if they were male. In other words, take on cultural traditions uh, and identity of the Jews in order to be included within the people of God. Many of us have become familiar with the term othering, where individuals or groups are labelled as not fitting into the perceived norms of a group. And this is something they had to address back then in the first century. In fact, I only learned this 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 week from John Bodley. There was a traditional Jewish prayer, which could be translated this way. Get this. I thank God that I am not a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. And Paul responded here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to this issue. In Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have closed yourself, clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one. And Paul names those divisions in his society uh, at the time, where each pair of words, one of them was privileged over the other. So the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people were divided, with the Jews believing themselves to be superior to the Gentiles. Those of high socioeconomic status were divided from those who were tragically in servitude, believing themselves to be superior to them. The sexes were divided with males believing themselves to be superior to females. All these issues were deeply ingrained in the culture, systemically reinforced in structures throughout society in Paul's day. And Paul says, in God's family, there are to be no divisions based on your nationality, based on your background. You are all one in Christ Jesus, and no one is of higher value than anyone else. In Nottingham here in 2021, we're not having arguments about circumcision, but it is possible there are things that create uh, divisions between us. I mean, for example, even this topic can be a source of division. There are some people in this room right now, your heart is beating because you've wanted us to talk about this in greater depth for a long time. Others of you are wondering, why are we even talking about this? And like any sensitive issue, these differences of view have the potential to cause division. And so the aim of this journey, these sermons, and everything that goes with them, everything we are doing is to break divisions down. So we're all one in Christ Jesus, but there's a risk that we can oversimplify this because we could conclude that racial and ethnic differences don't matter. We're like, we're all one. We all look kind of, you know, we're all, we're all one. Paul at no point uh, denies the different cultural identities. Our identity in Christ is to be our first identity, but people don't lose their distinctiveness when in Jesus they become one. The dividing walls of hostility and inequality between different peoples are eradicated. We're all equal, but we are richly different. 
Difference still matters. Why? Because a diverse church is part of God's plan. In Revelation 7 there, the multitude is one in their worship, but the nations, the tribes, the peoples, the languages are still visible. In this vision of heaven where everything is as God intends it to be, difference is not eliminated, it is celebrated. So diversity is part of God's plan. Secondly, because ignoring cultural distinctives hurtfully fails to recognize the unique qualities of different cultures and experiences. Decades ago, when racist attitudes were really very prevalent in humor and in TV sitcoms to a degree which is absolutely shocking to us in 2021, I recall knowing that I didn't want to be a part of that. And I had conversations with black friends where I would say things like this, I don't see color. I don't see you as black. I just see you as a mate. And at the time, I felt I, it was a pretty progressive way to see things. What I, my intention really was to reduce any possibly perceived distance uh, between us. But more recently, I've learned that when we say we don't see someone's color, we're in danger of saying, I don't see your culture. I don't see your experiences. I don't see your pain. I don't see you. I don't think or say those things anymore, realizing that colorblindness is really unhelpful. Throughout history in the West, people have often fallen foul of the tendency to assume that their culture represents the default, kind of the, the uh, ideal for humanity. But if I was to ask you, who in history is the most complete model of what it means to be human? The most perfect person. I'm sure most of us would immediately think of Jesus. A Middle Eastern Jew who didn't speak a word of English and who almost certainly would have had brown skin, brown eyes, dark hair, a bit like this artist's impression. Interesting. If we ignore cultural differences, we ignore things that are wonderful about a person and we're in danger of, of minimizing past wounds and pain. I heard uh, from a member of this church who was asked here to give an easier to pronounce version of their name by someone here. And they said, it feels like a kick in the shin. We know from the Bible the significance of names, the meanings of them and how they relate to one's heritage. So for individuals to almost try and make my heritage palatable for themselves without even attempting to pronounce my name hurts, especially in church. So let's lean into celebrating our uniqueness and enjoying our differences, appreciating the rich diversity of cultures we have within the church. So what does the Bible say about racial and ethnic diversity? That we are all one in Christ, that's our primary identity, but our differences still matter. God's vision for the church is a diverse one, where Jesus' followers of all nations, all tribes, all peoples gather to worship him in the wonderful richness of our difference. But I also don't believe that we need to wait for eternity to see the outworking of this vision. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, this is how I'd like you to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we should be seeking this unity in diversity now. 
Every church, if it is truly expressing God's vision, will be diverse. It'll be different because of wherever it is located, but there will be people of different ages, different socioeconomic status, marital status, different races, different ethnicities, and so on, beyond being a simple representation of their area's demographic. In other words, the local church, I believe, should be more diverse than other organizations, clubs, and communities around it. The church has a unique opportunity to be a leading example to the world in breaking down barriers. To do that, we have to be willing to take the initiative. The lady I mentioned earlier from Windrush, who was turned away from a church, found herself some decades later back at that same church. And the new vicar, realizing this woman's experience, actually got down on her knees and asked her forgiveness. That's what the church should have been modeling all along. When people walk into a church and they spot obvious diversity, they look around, they see people of different ages and different backgrounds, like Pav mentioned in the Alpha clip we saw earlier. It communicates how amazing God is that he would bring us together, that only he has the power to break down dividing walls between us. The world should look upon the church in its unity and say, how did that happen? That's impossible. God must be real because that is a miracle. Let me give you a little update on what we've been doing over the last 18 months as a church on this subject. Something that's emerged from the many conversations that we have had is the need for both inward change and outward action. So we need both running in parallel. And like a train heading in the direction of the horizon, it runs on two tracks simultaneously. Uh, one track is the heart journey. The other is practical ac action. And we need both. We need to do both things, running in parallel. And just as the path towards the destination is not a straight line, it will be similar for us. As the track curves one way, the weight of the train leans on one of the rails. As it turns the other way, the weight of the train leans on the other. And that illustrates what we anticipate on our journey together. It's not all about the heart journey. It's not all about practical action. It needs very much to be a both and. The leadership team have had many one-to-one -one conversations where they shared reflections and experiences. They've engaged in personal learning through books, podcasts, lectures, sermons, and films. And we've had some really helpful uh, input from King's Church in Catford. This is a church of similar size to Trent. Um, Steve and his team uh, came to a meeting we had. And uh, they're much further along the journey than we are. In addition to this series, we're, doing, uh, we're creating some small group resources, which we're really encouraging small groups to engage with. And we'd, we'd really strongly encourage you to take part in these discussions. If you're yet to join a small group, now is a perfect time to find one because this will be happening next month. We've also created stakeholder groups, quite a few of them, with key staff and racially diverse members looking more practically and strategically at some key areas in the life of the church. And met a number of times, we have a, a steering group of members of this church from a range of races and ethnic backgrounds who are helping us to navigate our way forward. So you may well be asking, well, what can I do personally? I really want to encourage 
one primary thing. Have conversations with people whose experiences differ from yours. One of the resources on the link I'm about to mention is an excellent video of Dave Ellis's song, Come Closer. That was Dave speaking Patois just now in the announcements. It's an inspirational and hopeful uh, song. It's looking to a better future. It encourages us to come closer, to get to know people different to ourselves. Well worth watching. You'll find it on the link I'll mention in a moment. Now, these conversations are not always comfortable. And people are at different places on the journey, but the more we talk, the more trust and more understanding there is. When I mentioned back in February in the Vision Talk, having meals with people who are of different backgrounds to you, I really meant it. People much younger than you, much older than you, mixing married and single and different races and ethnicities. And Debbie and I have been very deliberately engaging with this in all of those ways. We've hosted people from other races eating at our home. We've enjoyed meals in the homes of a number of you from different racial backgrounds. And it's been a very rich experience. Two weeks ago, while some of you were running a marathon, we were eating. In fact, uh, Debbie spent some time at Althea's home cooking. And then with her family, we enjoyed Jamaican dishes of ackee and saltfish, fried plantain and green bananas, yam and dasheen, curried mutton, spiced chicken, and rice and peas. And it's been an absolute joy to deepen relationships, to, to enjoy our cultural differences. We've had many conversations with racially diverse members of the church and others beyond it, where we have just ventured into both vulnerable and slightly more risky areas as we've asked questions, as we've understood new perspectives. Mixing with people different to us is a vital part of this journey. And I really would encourage you quite deliberately to think, how this month might I do that? We've put together some resources, which you can find at this link, uh, trentv.org forward slash every nation, really to help you reflect on this journey personally, yourself. Uh, and I really would encourage you to do that in the coming weeks. I believe that for us as a church, it is crucial that the issue of racial and ethnic diversity and injustice are not just topics just briefly touched on in response to a news story, but something we commit to addressing in society, in the church, and in our own individual hearts. And on this journey, I can guarantee there will be things which make us uncomfortable. I've been very uncomfortable from on and off 18 months, as some of these conversations have really been, oh, that's quite bruising to hear. Our, our thinking is going to be challenged. That's a good thing, if you think about it. If that didn't happen, we wouldn't be learning, would we? We wouldn't be changing. We want to encourage a posture of openness, acknowledging that none of us sees the full picture. We all have blind spots. We all have unconscious biases. And... Um, Next week, we'll look at how the bigger picture of the Bible shows how we can partner with God on this. And two weeks after that, I would encourage you to be here to hear Josh Kaye.